Hi, this is Arazu and Megan, and you're listening to the Dio Diaries. Hey friends, hope you are having a great day wherever you're tuning in from. For this episode, we have brought one and only our most favorite professor from our medical school. Her name is Dr. Alice Akronili, and to put it in short, she is the life of the party. 100%. She definitely <laughs> I try, is. I try. <laughs> Yay. Uh, Dr. Akronili um, uh, grew up in Anugo. Did I pronounce that correctly? Yes, you did. Okay, amazing. Also known as the Coal City in Eastern Nigeria and received her medical degree from the uh, Victor Babes University of Medicine and Pharmacy in Romania. Um, Dr. Akronili's first publication was about Ebola in a local newspaper. Um, and with that, Dr. Akronili, thank you so much for joining us. Can you tell all of our listener, listeners a little bit about your journey? Um, well, I think I've had a very interesting path to where I've gotten to today. Uh, I think this just shows you how medicine can take different twists and turns. Um, I definitely was on the path to become an engineer, if you will know it or not. Um, uh, when I was a kid, I was the second best math student in the entire country in these National Olympiad competitions. Um, so I was really good at math. And... Um, I was good at technical drawing, mostly because everyone told me that girls couldn't do technical drawing. And so I was like, well, I'll show you. <laughs> um, and so I took a lot of pleasure in doing better than every single person in that class. And so everyone thought I was going to be an engineer like my parents or an architect. Um, and in 1992, there was an Ebola outbreak in Gabon. Um, and that was very close to West Africa, where I lived at the time. And so I just became completely fascinated by retroviruses and how they work. And, you know, it was it was terrifying, but at the same time, very exciting as well. And so I definitely found myself down the path of just being so fascinated with medicine um, that I just decided to switch and go into medicine. Um, and so I was fortunate enough that I was able to apply and get well i got some scholarships in the states but they weren't full scholarships so they would have been very expensive and then in romania which is the country where i was actually born um and my mom's from there i got a full scholarship to go to medical school and so i found myself in romania in medical school um, did all of that and then after i finished um, I wanted to come over to the States, so I came out to the United States and started taking my boards. And as I was taking my boards, I did fairly well, and I got recruited into medical education at Kaplan. And then by the time I finished taking all my boards, I realized, well, I needed to keep making money, basically. <laughs> um, and so I just sort of stayed on the path that I was because, you know, going back to being a resident was going to be a little bit more... Um, financially painful that I was willing to um, accede to. And so I ended up in medical education uh, for a long time, uh, both with Kaplan and then eventually at FIU, which is a med school down in Miami. Um, so very interesting, like even in the United States, I've lived in California, New York, and Miami, which is a very different vibe, uh, and then ended up in Utah. But um, it's been a blast. It's been a nice journey. It's been a nice, it's been a good, good experience. 
a true world traveler traveler <laughs> yes what's your most favorite place out of all the places you've been so far you know wherever i'm at i always say home is wherever i'm at and i've just i've enjoyed everywhere um I do miss Miami a little bit, you know, all the pool parties. The warm weather. But then I also love being out here in Utah and, you know, the hikes and the skiing and, you know, and all of you guys. So um, Utah is definitely special. That's great to hear. Yeah. I mean, we're definitely building something special here. And I think you can attest to that being a part of the team behind the scenes to bring this brand new medical school to life. Um, I mean, I feel it being a student, being a part of something special, being part of the inaugural classes, it does feel special. Yeah, I mean, part of my job at, at one point at Kaplan was going to med schools around the world and especially in the US and, you know, looking at what was what we could improve in the curriculum or how we could augment things to help their students perform better and so i've had sort of the inside view of how a lot of schools work and what we have at norda is just it's so special that makes me real happy to hear <laughs> yay it's gonna all pay off <laughs> um so you have such a breadth of wisdom and clearly such an impressive journey. So we kind of wanted to pick your brain about some of the different things that we as med students struggle with. Um, so one of those things is imposter syndrome. What are your suggestions on overcoming imposter syndrome? Huh. Well, I think the first question should be, have I overcome imposter syndrome? <laughs> <laughs> I think there's, there's, there's some level, um, you know, on which you're always at some point in some moments going to feel that way. Um, and it's just, it's just one of those things, you know, that you have to have the tools and I would say your psychological coping mechanisms within yourself, because unfortunately it's one of those things that's almost always there in medicine. And the funny thing is, I think even people who look like they're very confident on the outside or sound like they know what they're talking about, um, they all have moments where they have imposter syndrome. And I think it's especially rampant within the physician community because the truth is the more you learn medicine and the more you know, the more you realize how much you don't know. And I know as med students, you guys feel this all the time because it's like the more you're studying, you're like, wow, I've learned so much. I know so much, but oh my goodness, look at how much I don't know, right? Um, and so your brain just kind of does this trick on you where you're focused on, wow, like there's more depth and there's more complexity and there's more nuance to this. Um, and the more you learn, the more you learn those nuances and the more you realize, wow, this is actually more complicated uh, than that simplistic version. So I think in medicine, one of the very important skills you have to develop as a physician is recognizing the limits of your knowledge. Um, and it's very important that you do that because it's very important when you do need someone else to take a look at the situation that you're cognizant of that so that you could go to someone else to ask for that expertise that they might have that you don't. And I think what that does is twofold. It sometimes amplifies our imposter syndrome because you will have someone who's a very, very brilliant 
physician in their field completely paralyzed about you know providing feedback or an opinion on something that's in an adjacent field that they know probably better than most people in the world but they just don't feel that they have the same level of expertise compared to the area where they are an expert uh, and i feel that's so common right and so that also sort of builds on imposter syndrome where depending on the environment you're in you sometimes just feel like do I belong here, you know? And the truth is you do belong there. And the truth is you have a lot to say and you have a lot to contribute and you know a lot and you've spent, you know, your entire career up to that point, just learning and studying and exploring and improving yourself. Um, but there's still that feeling because we're just so aware of how much complexity and nuance and how much we don't know. So. I'm sorry, not the answer you were looking for, I know, right? Like, you, th there's no magic bullet for imposter syndrome, yeah. that's the thing. It's it's more, it's internal work you have to do on yourself where yeah. you're kind of holding two contradictory thoughts in your head at the same time, which is, yes, I don't know everything, and yes, that is okay. Yeah, no, I, I really appreciate that you highlighted that because I feel like right um, last year when I first started medical school, that was something I had to learn to be okay with learn to be okay with being uncomfortable learn to be okay to like with be okay with falling behind and not necessarily knowing everything because there was definitely times that i would do questions and i wouldn't know the little thing and the answer choice or the one answer choice is like what is this even about and you know like not knowing that one thing doesn't define that I'm a bad medical student that that one thing doesn't you know speak on my whole personality or also but like stop comparing myself with other people because that was something I definitely noticed you know would start eating my or chewing my brain and just being like oh my gosh I don't know as much as this person next to me and just be like okay and I remember you actually said this to me last year you were like did you learn something new compared to yesterday and I was like yes and then you were like then you're good and I was like, honestly, yeah, as long as I'm learning something new every day and just having that mindset and just really trying to be present with the material and enjoy the things that I'm learning, then like just having that switch of mentality really helped with me enjoying the things that I'm learning much more rather than being in panic mode and be like, oh, my gosh, I don't know everything. I have to know everything. So, yeah, I really appreciate that advice. You're welcome. <laughs> get comfortable I'm glad you took it. Yeah, no, definitely. That's like one of my sayings now. I'm like, get comfortable with the uncomfortable. Um, so uh, we kind of, or at least I kind of talked about, you know, that feeling of discomfort and just not knowing one question. But then again, we can have that thing of like not doing good on a whole exam, right? Or just having those rough patches in medical school that leads you to that leads to the students falling behind. So um, what is your suggestion on, you know, falling behind or feeling like you're a failure in medical school? Um, yeah, so, and I'm sure I feel like you've had a lot of students coming up to you, including myself at some <laughs> point when I was freaking out about one of my, one of my exams. Um, so yeah, what, what would you suggest? Well, I think it's twofold, right? So the first thing is you have to keep in mind that you study so much and when you then are looking at maybe a 50 question block of questions 
Um, your performance on that 50 question block does not actually define the amount of knowledge that you have, right? It really doesn't. Um, and then it, it gets more acute when you're doing like maybe 10 questions um, or you're talking to a colleague and they happen to know a fact that you don't know. Um, all of those are in some form irrelevant, okay? What really matters, and, and this is something that I hope we try to inoculate in Norda hopefully a little bit faster than it would happen at other places. But one of the things about becoming a medical student is you start to have to study very differently than you ever had to in the past. And part of the reason for that is, you know, when you're an undergrad, you have this mentality of, I just need to know what I need to know to do very well on my test. And your measure of yourself and your self-worth and even your competency with that material was that graded letter A that you'd get back from the instructor at the end of the entire process. Except you and I both know that that letter A didn't necessarily always represent that you knew everything there was to know in that material. And so when it comes to medicine, I think I would challenge medical students differently. And I want to say that this is an original thought. It's really not. One of my own professors, who 20-something years ago, um, had the same piece of advice for us. And um, he said that medicine is one of the fields in which you will never know everything. But as a physician, you have to make a decision about what information and what diseases and what conditions you're going to know. And what you do know will make a difference between life and death, morbidity and mortality, a better prognosis or a worse prognosis for a patient sitting across from you. And he's like, whatever choices you make, you will have to live with the responsibility of the consequences. And it's not a matter of if you make a mistake, it's a matter of when you make a mistake. It's a matter of when you come in contact with the patient whose diagnosis you missed or whose pathophysiology you were not able to decipher, right? And when you think in that way, the responsibility to learn things is not the responsibility of passing this test. Like ultimately, in the big scheme of things, the test is almost completely irrelevant because that test, one, is just a microcosm of information. There is no test that can test the totality of information you actually have to acquire. And ultimately, if you know enough to pass a test, but then haven't remained with enough of the material internalized so that when you are sitting in front from a patient, you're thinking through things in a way that's actually helpful to the patient in front of you, then that's a problem, right? Now, and obviously that doesn't mean that you have to put that pressure on yourself as a second year medical student, because, you know, that's why you'll be a third year medical student, a fourth year medical student, and that's why you go through residency, right? So that you'll have that level of competence. But the point is, as you're studying right now, and you have to think to yourself, I'm studying so I can become a competent physician. You're not studying so you can pass a test. You're not studying so you could do better than your classmate that's next to you. You're really studying to make yourself into the physician that you want to be. And I think 
sometimes when we focus back on that, it just it makes the process of studying a little bit easier. It also makes the process of, oh, I'm maybe not doing as well as I want to in this class or, oh, I'm not the top of my class, you know, which I was an undergrad. Well, guess what? Everyone who was the top of their class in undergrad are the people who are your classmates now. Right. And so if you're in the middle of the class, that's a perfectly good place to be because everyone in your class is darn smart. Right. And so, you know, that's one of those things where it's the mentality we have of this competitiveness and this seeing our value reflected to us in that grade instead of realizing your value is in your mind. Your value is I learned things today that I did not know yesterday. And because of what I've learned today, Two years from now, three years from now, four years from now, I'm going to be able to look at a patient's situation and understand what's going on with the patient and understand their disease and understand how to treat it and be able to, even if I don't understand the disease, I'll know enough to think about it so I could go look it up and figure out what's the proper way to treat it because that might change, right? So none of the drugs you're learning right now in medical school might be the drugs you're going to be using to treat your patients 10 years from now, right? But the underlying human physiology, anatomy, and underlying mechanism of those diseases don't change. And that's why that's what you really have to learn. And it also helps you figure out what's important from all the stuff in medical school that I'm drowning in. What matters? Well, what matters is, can it help you help your patient? If the answer to that is yes, then it matters. You want to know it, right? And if the answer is no, then that's fine. And sometimes the answer is simply my brain can't take it all, you know, like, and everyone's brain is different. There's just going to be some things that you'll be so frustrated with yourself because you know what? I just can't remember the enzymes the way other people can remember the enzymes. That's okay. We're not all going to be the same type of doctor. Um, and so at some point you also have to just sort of be kind to yourself and realize that not knowing everything is fine. It's not the end of the world. You know, if, if you do a little bit more poorly in your repro block and then you, you do better in endo or you do better in GI, that's okay. We're not all going to be the exact same type of doctor, you know, um, and not putting that pressure on yourself to constantly perform and, you know, constantly learn everything um, because that's just not the way the human brain works. It's just not the way physicians work really long term. And I think once you take the pressure off of yourself, the pleasure of studying and the curiosity and I mean, studying medicine, honestly, it's such a privilege and it's yeah. also such a, it's really so interesting. You know, it's like these diseases and, you know, the things that we can do. And honestly, in some ways, you guys have a harder time because 20 years ago, I didn't have to learn as many things as you guys have to learn. Um, and that's totally true. But also think about how many more diseases we can help people with today, you know. Um, and I find all of that so fascinating. And I hope that that's what you sort of take away from medical school because otherwise it's just like oh the stress oh it's like you know a hundred more drugs i have to learn this too you know and, and it's just it's it's all of that and that just becomes overwhelming yeah i feel like i personally really needed to <laughs> first of all i think i can take out this answer to this question and just like you know play it once a week for myself just to remind myself that <laughs> it's okay if you don't know everything because i kid you not yesterday i was so frustrated like with protein inhibitor drugs like for whatever reason 
for the life of me, I keep messing up like the mechanism of action. And I was just so frustrated because I've reviewed this like, you know, once every couple of weeks. And I'm just like, oh, this one thing like farm is my Achilles heel a little bit, um, especially I would say like the, the bugs and drugs. But that was that was much needed for me, at least, because I definitely have like and I'm sure everyone does, you know, like you said, their areas of strength and their areas of weakness. And it can be so frustrating when you're, you know, studying and you're so close to it that you forget to we um, just recorded an episode on self-care and reflection and everything. And it is important to take a step back and be like, why am I even learning this? Like, what's the point of me doing this and reminding yourself of your why so you can distance a little bit from just the just the textbook and think of the bigger picture, like you said, think of the patients that you're going to treat in the future. Think of the lives that you're going to change and how the things you're learning now, that's going to be applied in the future. And I think one of her classmates said that once she was like, whenever I'm learning about something new, I think of the patients that I'm going to see in the future and the things that I'm going to say to them, things that I'm going to explain and how, like, what are the things that I should be thinking to solve that, you know, mystery, figure out what the disease actually is. And I was like, whoa, that's like, that's a great way. That's like, I think a lot of us should be thinking. but yeah, no, I, I I really, really appreciated that answer that, you know, we all have our strengths and weaknesses, but also reminding ourselves that it's not just about textbook. It's not about being the best in your class, because um, that's like not a very healthy attitude to have either. I feel like a lot of us are in medical school to help people, to help our future patients not to be not to be the best in our class. I feel like grades, yes, but at the end of the day, I don't think any of your patients going to be like, what did you get on that biochemistry exam? Yeah, I think that this question, the important thing to remember is that perspective is everything. So whether you fail an exam or you're at the bottom of your class, shifting that perspective to remember, well, I'm in a class full of very intelligent people. And as long as I'm learning something day yeah. by day, then that's what matters. And even when you are in the moment frustrated with being unable to learn something mm-hmm. or get certain questions right, being able to shift that perspective and think about how I can help patients in the future rather than thinking of it as I'm learning this for my test, mm-hmm. I'm learning this for my patients. Mm-hmm. I think that definitely makes a difference. Um, but like you said, being close to the material and being close to having exams every two weeks, yeah. being that close to the pressure and being evaluated that frequently you do tend to get lost in the mix Mm. and start to forget to remind yourself of those things. Um, But yeah, we'll just replay this once a week (laughs) (laughs) to remind ourselves, you know, that it's not, you know, most of that negativity and those feelings of failure are not, it's all relative, you know, it's not real. We're not actually failures, clearly, you know, um, or we wouldn't be here. So most of it's in our head anyways. So get yeah. taking a moment to get out of your head and reflect on how far you've come and the reasons why you're doing this. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, can be beneficial to continue. Yeah. yeah. And honestly, I'll say, Megan, one of the things you mentioned your classmate had said was how they visualize uh, patients. It's very helpful. And here's why. Because if you can visualize, and what I would just say is, Think of people in your life 
or people that you know, or even just random acquaintances you run into that meet the demographic for particular diseases. And then in your mind, you'd like associate that disease with like, oh, this isn't a young person, right? And then all of a sudden you start finding that you start remembering some of the features associated with the diseases because you remember, oh, wait a minute, this was that person, right? And you make it an actual person, so you personalize it for yourself. Uh, and that's very helpful. Yeah. Another thing that's important <laughs> to keep in mind too is if you go down that negative sort of spiral of thoughts about like, oh, I'm not, you know, imposter syndrome then compounds the I'm not good enough, I feel like I'm struggling or this is overwhelming, you start having this reluctance to engage with the material and the content and then you start procrastinating studying which then means you're studying even less and then you're going to start doing even worse because you're not even learning the much you were when you were feeling that you were falling behind right yeah. and then you fall even further and further and further behind yeah. uh, because you're starting to just develop this oh, i don't want to study because like just the studying is giving me anxiety right um yeah. and so yeah you have to just do things to you know make it not make it fun but almost trick yourself to be like i'm not studying for a test I'm just going to read this for a different reason. Yeah. Um, and then it's also helpful, at least one of the things I've always found is talk to someone that knows no medicine. Um, so if you have family members that are not in the field at all, um, and, you know, because that way it'll do one of two things. So a lot of folks who are students tend to feel like once they get into medical school, they become disconnected from their normal emotional support system, which is their families and things like that, because they feel like if they spend 30 minutes or an hour having conversation with a family member, they, they're now taking away from the time that they would have used to study. Um, and so what I do is I try to tell students, actually, you could use your family, your loved ones, your friends who are not in the medical field as your best study tool. And what you do is you say, oh, I'm not studying for the test. I'm studying because when I talk to my mom or my sister or my friend or my boyfriend, my girlfriend, when I talk to them this evening, I'm going to explain to them this, um, all the inflammations of this organ system. And the nice thing is it'll make them feel engaged with your study. They're going to be so happy to be a part of it. And when you try to explain to someone who knows no medicine, you will start to realize there are times when you have what I call the illusion of knowledge, which is when you read it in the textbook, you thought it made sense. But when you're trying to explain it to someone else, you're finding that there's pieces of it that you didn't quite understand. And it will make you go back to fix those things. But the beautiful thing is you're talking to someone who has no clue what you're saying. So even when you start like, you know, running into a dead end of an explanation, they have no clue. They will think the world of you and they'll think, oh, my goodness, you're so smart and you know all this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> even though that's your own way of like detecting your own illusions of knowledge. So you could go back and be like, uh, wait a minute, what exactly, where exactly was the curve before on plates? Because I think I'm mixing up where this is, you know? Yeah. yeah. And I actually do this sometimes. Sometimes, um, and I think it helps in, I mean, all those ways you mentioned, but also it helps because it's a confidence booster to be able to explain something properly to someone and actually see in their face that they're engaged in the conversation. So it kind of gives you that confidence boost and twofold. It also, when they come back with questions about whatever you're talking about, it really makes you think about things from a different perspective. And 
as opposed to reciting whatever you learned from the slides, you're actually forced to synthesize this information and come up with a response that, you know, is actually resembles more closely what a patient might ask you. And you have to do it in layman's terms. Yes. Because another thing that we do in the medical community is we substitute medical lingua for actual understanding. And yes. so, like, we know the medical term, but then if someone's like, well, explain that, you're like, oh, I don't really, you know, like, yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, uh, like you said, you're able to detect the illusions of knowledge or what I call a bullshit detector. I love that. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so if you're someone like me and you know how to BS really well, but then someone's calling you out on it and well, what are you talking about? Can you explain this to me like I'm a five-year-old? Can you break this yeah. down for me better? Yeah. Then you realize, okay, maybe I am just trying to sound like I know what I'm talking about, but I actually don't know what I'm talking about. I mean, if you can't explain it to a five-year-old, you probably don't know what you're talking yeah, about. 100%. So. <laughs> 100%. Yeah, that's, um, I think I, uh, so I follow this YouTuber. He was actually a physician before, but making more money from YouTube and now he's a full-time YouTuber. Um, love that. But one of his, he has a course on Skillshare, like called how to study. And his thing, it's like, oh, because, you know, nobody ever teaches us how to properly study. And he um, really elaborates on different styles of active learning. One of them is, you know, close your note uh, or like write questions next to your notes. And then the way you study, review your notes and covering your notes and asking those questions for, from yourself. So that way you can really see, okay, do I know this thing or not? Another method he explains is just explaining it out loud like you are to a five-year-old. Because if you can't do that, then you know that you truly don't know that material. So 100% um, agree with what you're saying. Um, so I think that we've, yeah, we've talked about being a student, but I think this next chapter of our medical education is going to be starting clinical rotations mm -hmm. and day in, day out in the hospital. What is your advice for how we can advocate for ourselves in clinical rotations? Well, the first thing I'll say is the best way to advocate for yourself is to um, make a good first impression on people around you. And honestly, the most important skill in clinical rotations is not so much the clinical knowledge that you have because you're actually there to acquire clinical knowledge. The most important skill you'll bring to your clinical rotations is going to be emotional intelligence um, and being able to pay attention to the people around you, pay attention to what they're doing, how they're feeling, pay attention to the little nuances of how a doctor's office runs, uh, pay attention to your own emotions and the situations that might be triggering you in some way, um, you know, try to self-regulate, um, you know, and, and that's so important because ultimately those are actually the skills that really matter. You know, when they say medicine is art as much as science, that's the art of medicine. And people think that the art of medicine is just about the interaction between the physician and the patient, but it's really not. Um, in order to be a successful physician, you actually have to be able to successfully navigate those interprofessional relationships with the rest of the team. And so when you go on clinical rotations, it's really that. It's really about presenting yourself, trying to see and understand everyone's role, being very respectful of everyone's role, and 
that's how you then get to the point where you can advocate for yourself. Because actually, if you do that, you won't even need to advocate for yourself. Everyone else there will be advocating for you. Um, you know, and so I think that's sort of where, you know, when we talk about at Norda wanting to have, you know, students who have a servant's heart, uh, when you really go into every situation with that sort of a servant's heart, um, you end up in a situation where people are then willing and really enthusiastic to allow you to lead. Um, and not only that, they will advocate for you in ways that you probably would never be able to successfully advocate for yourself um, because they find the characteristics or they see the mirror of the idealism that they, you know, either once had in themselves or would have wanted to have, you know, at that point in time. Uh, and I think that's sort of the most important thing um, because it's all the intangibles that will matter in your clinical rotations. It's, you know, the fact that you have a great relationship and rapport with the nurses on staff, the fact that you're paying attention to little mood shifts that you're sensing in the patient, the fact that you're observant about things that are happening and you're able to sometimes step in to relay information that might have never even gotten relayed if you hadn't been there. And in some ways you start becoming a valuable member of the team, even though you're just there on a rotation. And that's the sort of thing people remember. That's the sort of thing that influences and affects the people who would then be the advocates for you when you then need it, right? Uh, because I'll tell you, like, everyone who's ever, um, you know, worked with me that has really done a great, like, they've never had to advocate for themselves. I would be their biggest advocate, you know? So, very much that. 100%. I think what you highlighted was um, having a good relationship with your nurses uh, sometimes we forget, like you said, that it's more than the patient and the doctor interaction. It's a systemic approach. It's the PT, it's the OT, it's the nurses. And it's everyone the janitor. Else. Exactly, exactly. It's the janitor. And I feel like treat everyone the same, treat everyone with respect and just remember that everyone is a human being who, um, who 100% deserves to be um, respected and treated with honor. And um, yeah, that's that's how we can value and uh, embody the human dignity. So love that 100%. Um, and it kind of takes the pressure off of us because I like that you mentioned you're not expected to show up knowing every single clinical piece of information. That's what you're there to do is to learn. Yeah. You're, you are expected to show up and be respectful to everyone. You are expected to show up and be a team player and learn how the healthcare system works. And so to me, that's reassuring because it takes the pressure off of me to be this perfect student that can answer every question right and more so allows me to figure out who I am in this healthcare system and the kind of medicine that I want to practice and learn from every single person in the team. And it becomes more of something fun and something um, less, stressful. less stressful than if we were to, <laughs> the way I had it in my mind, which, which was going in every day and being quizzed every single day yeah. <laughs> and being pimped out by your attendings. <laughs> well, so the truth is, the truth is you don't know more medicine than your attending does. And so, you know, <laughs> and, and, and here's one of the things, <laughs> one of the things I can tell you is that, um, you know, the student who thinks they know it all 
Um, you're still you're on rotations. You don't even have a clue at that point, you know, what the reality of medicine is. And and obviously you've studied a lot to get to that point. So you do know quite a lot of medicine. But when you don't even have the sense of humility to understand that your knowledge base is, you know, it's you're two years into your medical education career. The attending has finished medical school and a residency and has probably been practicing for X number of years, right? And so there might be things you would know that they wouldn't. Like, I'm pretty mm -hmm. sure if I asked you a, you know, biochemistry question, you might be able to answer that better than your attending. Uh, but, but the reality is, you really need to go into rotations with that sense of humility that, yes, I know a lot of medicine. I've learned a lot in my first two years, but I'm here to learn more. And there's a lot of medicine that you learn, like nurses can teach you a lot about medicine. There's things they know that you don't know yet because you haven't actually been practicing. And they might not know the theory and the underlying mechanism of action or even exactly how the pathophysiology of a particular disease process works, but they've seen the disease and they've seen it play out in real time. So there are things that they know that you don't. And just having the self-awareness to present yourself as someone who knows that reality is already a good check mark in my book, right? So if you're not walking, honestly, one of the things that attendings do to students who are trying to act all know-it-all is literally ask question after question until you eventually drive them into the ditch because eventually you will get to the point where they don't know the answers anymore, right? And that's, and honestly, Attendings don't necessarily do that because they want to be mean. They're doing it because they want to impart a level of humility to mm -hmm. students who are flying high, thinking that they are more than they are at that point, right? And honestly, if you go in with the right attitude, you'll never even get that because, you know, they'll be like, oh, you know, like this, this person is just so kind, so nice, so thoughtful and you know, and, and then that way you're not necessarily trying to show off how much you know, but once in a while there'll be a question that others won't know and you will, you know, and then you'll have your opportunity to shine, you know. Um, and sometimes the things that others won't know and you will is you were paying attention to the nurse and you're paying attention to something the nurse said. And so you happen to know something that might not even have been in any textbook that anyone would have read, right? That's what impresses people. Uh, more so than anything else, you know. Just basically have an ear everywhere. No, just kidding. <laughs> but just be like, I guess, uh, I think I read that somewhere. It was like, read up on the patient's case, right? Know who your patients are. Know, try to know them. Like when you interview them, see them beyond just their symptoms. Get Get a good history. Establish a good relationship with the nurse so that you can just paint a more complete picture. Because again, you're just hearing different stories and yeah that like you said um knowing those little things and not necessarily that's like not medical related but just knowing one little thing in their history that they may have not shared somewhere else and they like confided in you would potentially be really helpful in their diagnoses and their medication whatever uh or that approach of care that then the attending will provide for the patient so i think yeah. something that another physician told me when i had asked him how do i impress stand out on rotations is to just try to add value to the team 
And so be helpful where you can. It doesn't necessarily mean getting every question right, mm. but it means being there with the patient if you have an extra five minutes, talking to the nurses and asking what you can do for them if you have an extra 10, 15 minutes. Mm. Um, those kinds of things are going to make you stand out more than knowing every single thing about every single disease. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And honestly, enjoy the time in the hospital when you're not on a 15 minute clock per patient. And so you do get the opportunity to sort of have that time to build those relationships where, you know, the physician might not. Right. Because they have to go from like one patient to the next to the next to the next. You don't necessarily have to be on that very tight schedule. And so mm -hmm. you have a lot more time and leeway to be able to have that extra conversation, you know, help the nurse that you see running around in two, three places to be like, hey, could I get that pan for you? Or could I grab that for you? Or, you know, do you need extra bandages that I could go get, you know, and things like that. Know where things are, you know, like, yeah. exactly, add value. <laughs> or the ice machine is, they will come in handy. <laughs> A lot of patients, I feel like um, since we're scribing now, they're always asking for ice, so I, I feel like knowing where the ice machine exactly is, I was like, don't you worry. Cause like the nurse is in another room, like, I'll just grab this, fill it up for you, bring it back and you'll have your ice. Yeah, so, Absolutely. well, awesome. Um, those are all the questions that we had for you, Dr. Akamili. Um, Is there anything else that you'd like to add? No, or I just want to say that I'm so super proud of both of you and oh, you. how well you guys have been doing. And, you know, you're exactly the sort of, people that we hope will make the next great physicians oh, and i'm so excited to see where your careers go and what you all do because i think it's going to be great and you're going to be such a great addition to the physician community so ha! Huh, oh my goodness second year is almost going to be over and before you know it y'all will be you know <laughs> y'all will be having the doctor title next to your name so i'm excited for you guys Thank you. That that means the whole white world, especially coming from you. Um, well, thank you so much, Dr. Akamini, for being on here, sharing your wisdom with us. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. Hope you learned something from this episode. We uh, also would love to hear from you. If you like this episode, please share it on your social media. Tag us on your um, Instagram and leave us a review and let us know what you thought of today's episode. Until next time. Bye. Bye.